0: This week on Personally Speaking, our guest is coach John Harbaugh, the coach of the Baltimore Ravens and a Super Bowl champion. Stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Super Bowl winning head coach John Harbaugh joins me now. John is the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, the longest serving head coach of the team since joining the team in 2008. He's also the most successful Ravens coach to date. He has led the Ravens to a playoff berth in nine of his 13 seasons in Baltimore, and in 2012, captured the Ravens' second world championship. He's the holder of the Associated Press National Football League Coach of the Year Award. Before becoming the Ravens head coach, John was the Philadelphia Eagles secondary coach. And prior to that, he was Philadelphia's special teams coordinator and a 14-year collegiate coach. John is from a football family. He grew up learning the game from his father, Jack, a 41-year coaching veteran, and his younger brother, Jim, who played 14 seasons in the NFL, was the San Francisco 49ers head coach and is currently head coach for the University of Michigan's football team. In a showdown that featured the first ever NFL game between head coaches who were brothers, John's Baltimore Ravens bested Jim's San Francisco 49ers in a 2011 Thanksgiving night primetime special. The Ravens then topped the 49ers in the Super Bowl of 2012. John earned a degree in political science at the University of Miami in Ohio and earned his master's degree in physical education at Western Michigan. John is married to Ingrid and together they have a daughter, Allison. John and Ingrid are active in helping the Baltimore area be better for families and their contributors and volunteers to numerous Baltimore area events and charities. John's Catholic faith is an important part of his life. And he's here to tell us about that and how his faith plays a role in how he coaches. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Baltimore Ravens head coach, John Harbaugh. Thanks for coming on our program. And you know, I'm a big believer that whoever we are, uh, a lot of it begins with our family of origin. So let me begin with that. Uh, Jackie and and Jack, your parents, in raising you, what did they do right?
1: Well, what a great question. Uh, seems like everything right now, looking back on it, I, I guess... Uh, my mom and dad were really involved. My dad was a coach. So he wasn't home all the time. You know, he was working those coaching hours, but yeah, he was always, you know, he was always around, so to speak. And, and when we were little, mom used to put me and Jim in the, uh, well, the carriage at one time, then whatever the stroller. And then the next thing you know, it was, you know, her <laughs> hands, I guess, when we were little kids and take us to practice. So we were always at my dad's practices when he was a high school coach or a college coach. And, uh, even, even, uh, even when he was, you know, I guess when we were in high school, we were around the Michigan team all the time. We were in the weight room working out with the team. The players would, would stuff us in lockers pretty regularly and tape us to goalposts and all that kind of stuff. You know? So, you know, we, we, uh, we were in locker rooms and around the guys and the teams and the coaches kind of our whole life. Thanks to, thanks to my mom and dad, which I think was obviously pretty influential, you know, and what we ended up right. doing.
0: And tell me, were they the people responsible for planting uh, whatever faith you have? Or is it something you came to on your own later on? Uh, how were you formed?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I would say yes. You know, it's, it's not like we were a particularly, uh, quote unquote, religious family. Right. We were, we were Catholic. Uh, my mom and dad were both Catholic. And uh, so we, we, went to, we went to Catholic schools early on, elementary schools, even when we moved around a lot. In high school, we ended up in public schools. And we went to church most Sundays. I can't say we went every Sunday, you know. <laughs> we missed a few here and there. but uh,
0: This is not confession, Coach. No, I know. <laughs> but, uh,
1: but, you know, it's funny. I think that it was instilled in us. And, and we have some really pretty deep talks even today. My mom and dad are both in the early 80s. And, you know, we kind of come back and talk spiritually quite a bit. And one, one thing my dad always said to us and even says now, he said, attack the day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. He's always said that, you know, and I can remember being a kid and Jim and I, we, you know, nudge each other, you know, and yeah, what does that even mean? You know, unknown to mankind. Okay. How's that even possible? And then as you get older and you you kind of go down your faith road and you look back and you go, man, okay. I kind of see the Holy Spirit working on this one because I don't Mm -hmm. think my dad thought of it like this, but now what is an enthusiasm unknown to mankind, you know?
0: Right, right, right. Spirit
1: driven enthusiasm, you know, it's something that. We can't we can't accomplish in our own human
0: uh, element. I've, I've heard you say, coach, about that enthusiasm before, but I wonder, is it natural to you or is it something you had to learn? Like some people, they just don't seem to have a zeal for life and some people do. Was it a gift given to you or is it something you had to actively develop?
1: Well, my mom and dad were always like that. That's how my dad, that my dad coached that way. My mom lived that way, you know, that she was, she had an enthusiasm unknown to mankind when we were up in the bedroom whispering behind you <laughs> when you're supposed to be asleep. <laughs> she had great hearing too. God, I mean, moms have great hearing, but, <laughs> but, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's, 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 it was natural in that sense, but it was, it, to me, it, it, I I see it as a gift from God. I see it as a, as a godly thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, something that's just beyond our ability as humans. When, when you're down and you're out and you're not feeling good, you know, where do you find that enthusiasm? I think you find it in spirit.
0: Uh, coach John is I guess, John, I want to ask you, uh, a question that has to do much more with what's happening in your life right now. I have uh, the privilege, as most pastors do, of uh, performing and celebrating weddings most every weekend. And I don't like to give the homily based on just my generic concept of love and commitment. So I asked them each to write me an essay. Why of the billion people out there you could marry, why is this the one that you felt God was directing into your life? And And with you and Ingrid, how did you know— how are you willing to take the risk that leap of faith of saying I can build life with this person? What did you see in her that made you say she's the one?
1: Well, the first thing I saw was those uh, green eyes and that blonde hair, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then uh, we joke sometimes on our first date, you know, I, I, I joke, I, I just noticed the way she walked and I liked the way she walked. <laughs> so,
0: uh, you know, it always begins but, with the physical. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's, you
1: know, the, even the, you know, I, she jokes now, it's like the Forrest Gump thing, you know, I like the way you talk too, or I like the way you walk too, you know, but 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 uh, it's funny, because it took me six years to get to finally marry, her and we were bouncing around, I was bouncing around in coaching, and and uh, and we were trying to do the long distance thing, and, and I knew, I already knew, I knew I wanted to marry her, and she, I don't think she was so sure. sometimes, you know, and she kind of was like, I think she was getting to the point where, dude, you better, you know, get this done here pretty soon, yeah. and uh, maybe I sensed that, but uh, also, you know, as I just I just knew that that she would be right. And I can remember telling her a few years later, once we were married at some point, gosh, you're just such an awesome wife. And she said, I knew I would be,
0: you know, <laughs> that I like enthousi- that enthusiastic confidence on her part, too. What 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 happened to the two of you and Alice and your daughter during this pandemic? Like you're a guy who's so active all the time, so busy. And now there's much more time or was much more time during that year to just be with the people we're closest to. How did you use that time?
1: Yeah, that was the best thing because, uh, because we were at home and Allison was at home with her senior year and they were missing school and missing her senior lacrosse season. So we were home together a lot. You know, one thing we did, we took long walks. We ended up taking, uh-huh. you know, pretty much an hour plus walk every afternoon. And Ingrid's a big workout person. Allison was training, I try to work out. So mm-hmm. that was kind of on top of that and, and the work and the school. And that was a time just to talk and walk I felt like we really grew together even more through Hmm. that, just by, you know, we found out, you know, even at this stage, we still have a lot to talk about. (laughs) You get on a walk and you start talking, there's still a lot to talk
0: about, which is pretty neat. Isn't that great? That conversation time. You know, uh, you are known as an unapologetic Catholic Christian, which I love. But I have to tell you, the first guy in football I ever got to be friends with many years ago was a fellow named Mark Bavaro for uh, the New York Giants. And I remember, I always thought it was great that when as a tight end, he'd catch a a touchdown, he'd uh, genuflect and give thanks to God, but I remember reading a Sports Illustrated uh, editorial saying, Mr. Bavara, keep your faith to yourself. Um, <laughs> when you get blowback from people who say, you know, I'm glad you are believe, John, but uh, who cares? We don't want to know. What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, my reaction is to go back to what Jesus said. He said, spread the word to the whole world, you know, the, the, <laughs> the Great Commission. So that's really just not an option for us, is it? You know, and, and I don't think you have to be, in, everybody's got their own personality. And I think God kind of creates us all with our own style and way yeah. of doing things, and, and but just emboldens us, and it says to be strong and courageous. You know, I, I love Joshua, the first chapter of Joshua, you know, uh, one through nine, you know, be strong and courageous, and it comes back and says, be very strong and courageous. You know, yeah. I don't think you'd be afraid, you know, and just try to meet people where they're at as much as possible, and and just, you know, just share how you, how you feel and see things. Nobody, I don't think, can really tell you you're wrong if that's how you feel and that's how you see things, so... Try not to be afraid of that. And our players kind of appreciate it. And they know that, you know, everybody, we're all entitled to see things how we do and think how we think. But they don't expect me to not be who I am either. So if we allow them to be who they are, then, you know, I'm allowed to be who I am too, you know. And that becomes kind kind of a liberty kind of a thing for all of us.
0: Coach Harbaugh, I noticed, uh, you know, when our churches were closed during the worst of the pandemic that a lot of people needed to be reached out to. And many people in a community like mine said they, uh, they were dealing with a sadness, a, uh, a paralysis, a depression that, like they never had before. Um, I mentioned that because I'm going to presume that during this time you also stayed in some kind of close touch with your players. What were they experiencing as everything they worked for was put on hold?
1: just that. I mean, the guys were really, uh, you know, different guys were in different places mm. and you talked to guys since they were really happy to get back together. Finally, when we did, <clears throat> and I know we've had all the different things with the, the players association and, and those, all the different posturing that goes on, but on a human level, they missed one another, you know, they wanted to be in the locker room together and when they got back together for training camp, you could just see the joy, man. I mean, it was just like a, a weight lifted off their shoulders, laughing and talking and hugging and, you know i'm, I'm screaming at screaming to put put their masks up you know pull your mask mm-hmm. up and and uh, they just uh, i don't know i just think this whole thing kind of kind of reinforced the fact that we are a social we're social beings you know we're connected to yeah. one another and and you know we miss being around one another and it kind of reinforced for me is when you when you see somebody or you know maybe to get on my, my even to reach out with a text more often or to call somebody i got to catch up and call a lot of friends but or people that you see that are just lonely that don't have Someone to talk to, just a man. I mean, what you, I, you felt it yourself, what loneliness can feel like, and it's not a good feeling.
0: Yeah, Coach Harbaugh is our guest. Coach, we had a fellow on, um, Michael Komisarik, uh, kind of a lifetime hockey player, who retired and and shared with us that he had no idea what to do. Once he retired from hockey, they said from the age of a young kid, it was my whole life. And suddenly it was over you because you've been a coach for so long, have to have dealt with guys who built their entire lives around football. What becomes of these guys after the game?
1: Well, it's different for every guy. I mean, some guys have a plan and they're and and they roll right into it. You know, other guys have like Eric Weddle, for instance, he's got five kids, you know, so he's he's pretty busy with his five (laughs) kids and he's coaching them in football and stuff like that. Other guys, you know, they 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 get a little lost. I, I always feel bad for players in some ways because that that becomes the focus in their dream. And mm-hmm. and the guys who are smart, you know, finish their education or go back and get their degrees, or they get involved in some you know business endeavor. Guys like Ben Watson. There's so many success stories mm-hmm. about guys, but but sometimes they end up starting their career they're late, so they might play for three, four, five, six years. And a lot of these guys don't make life changing money. You know, they'll make a nice nest egg. Mm-hmm. But even if they do a good job of saving it they're not making that kind of money that's going to last them a lifetime
0: right right uh
1: and they are behind they're behind four five six years the people that they graduated with and they're just got to start over and sometimes they have a tough time finding that you know that startup type place where they can kind of get rolling and then you mm-hmm. talk to them 10 years later and they still haven't gotten started you know and those are the guys you worry about but it's different for every, every person, you know, every player is a little different.
0: I know you're not a spiritual dad to every player, but I presume that when you take on the role of coach, it it means sometimes you're also personal coaching. So do they come to you with their personal problems?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do. You know, they, uh,
0: sometimes they don't want
1: you to know, you know, they want to act like they, they don't have any problems. And other times, you know, you'll, you'll get the door, they'll walk in, they'll close the door. And, uh, you know, I, I Jimmy Smith uh, is a great example. We've gotten really close. He's been with the team now since our Super Bowl year and, 2012, and I'd say that we're very close friends. And he's been through a lot, you know, uh, relationally and different things in his life. And you know, I feel like I've walked all those those journeys with him, you know. And right, um, you know, sometimes you get in that kind of relationship. It's more of a, it's just a, it's a friendship, you know. It's yeah. a sometimes a big brother. It's not really a father type thing. Maybe now, maybe I'm getting older now. <laughs> you but uh, you know, those are the ones that you cherish. You know, I, I say Eric Weddle's like that. Uh, Even Ed Reed, you know, we have so many conversations that go so much that aren't even football related. You know, it's
0: for our 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 listeners and watchers. That's what you look
1: back on. You cherish, right? The relationships.
0: For our listeners and watchers around the country, Coach, they probably don't believe it, but uh, even though you've competed with your brother in a Super Bowl, no less, uh, it's, it's very clear to me when I read up about you that you and Jim have a, a incredibly strong bond, a great love relationship. Tell us how two brothers, because lots of people in my parish will say I haven't spoken to my brother or sister in twenty years, which breaks my heart. How have you two, especially in the same field, kept such a close friendship going?
1: Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I just I guess I'm very grateful for it. You know, and uh, we we just grew up in the same room. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of unique, you know, he was always the better athlete mm-hmm. and uh, he was the star player. Even, even when we were little, you know, he was the star and, and, uh, he was more playing with my friends. I was a little older and, uh, he chapped, you know, pal around with my guys and everything. And cause he was just that good. Um, so maybe that's where we kind of got close. I, maybe, maybe I had a place for him to go and hang out and <laughs> had some friends that like, <laughs> and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, he's a guy that I, you know, he got to be, a star quarterback and I was trying to make it as a coach, you know, I looked up to him and, you know, tried to uh, try to chase his success a little bit, you know, and the rivalry, it's funny. Cause we, you do have a sibling rivalry, you know, you do <laughs> right. you know, after the super bowl, you know, I went up to shake his hand after the game and, and, uh, and he kind of gave me the stiff arm and he said, there'll be no hug, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. That's pretty you know? honest. That's pretty honest.
1: Well, there weren't too many hugs growing up either, you know, we competed. So right. Right. But there are hugs, you know, and, and I think we, each, we each always have been each other's biggest fan and have always rooted for each other. And even today, when some of these controversial things come up, I mean, I make a point to publicly have his back and he does the same. Mm-hmm. And You know, when, when, hey, when you know somebody's in your corner, one thing our dad always said was he always said the most important thing is to believe in somebody. You know, everybody needs somebody yeah. to believe in them, you know, and you asked me earlier about the family. And I think if we got a gift from our parents, that was the biggest thing. You know, they, he always, and my mom, the same always absolutely 100% believed in us and had our back and yeah, they, we were disciplined and we were, we were put in our room and we were, you know, we were, we were, we were spanked occasionally, you know, (laughs) And we were basically disciplined, but also they always told us that we could, we could do that and be this and uh, that we had what it took always, you know, and my dad tells a story a lot of times when Jim was, when he went to Stanford to be the defensive coordinator, Jack Elway, John Elway's father was the head coach at san jose and and they were talking at, at a for a game one time san jose was playing stanford and john jack always said and john elway was the quarterback at stanford and jack said to john he said to my dad hey i heard you got a, a young uh, quarterback there at Pally high school and my dad said, yeah you know he's he goes well how is he? he goes well you know he's pretty good but he could he could work on this and he could work on that and he could be better at this and jack always said jack he said my dad's name is jack too he said jack <laughs> stop it, stop it." he goes listen Your son is going to have plenty of critics his whole Mm. life, and he's going to have plenty of coaches, but he's only going to have one dad. Yeah. And you be his biggest supporter. And my dad never forgot that and told us that story really Mm. right when it happened, and I've never forgotten. And I've told our players, I tell our players that same story every single year because, you know, your kids more than anybody, okay, need to have you believe in them as their, especially their father, you know, and that's, uh, that's a big one.
0: Coach, uh, that's a perfect segue into my question. I wanted to come back to your own personal story. Uh, you obviously love Allison like crazy. Do you have any idea, because parents and grandparents uh, listen to a show like this and wonder, I know what I value. I know I, I obviously value my kids, but how do I get the values that I treasure uh, to be part of their lives? Is there something you and Ingrid have done to to plant good seed, to see that Allison makes right choices in life? Uh, how do you teach someone how to be good, I guess is what I'm asking.
1: Gosh, it's such a great question. I, I I know because you are a you are a theologian and you study these things. Uh, that's that you know how deep that is. So I'm going to be just an amateur and try to answer it the best way I can because we were blessed. We've been blessed with a really great kid, you know. Mm. And she's a she's a freshman at Notre Dame. She's playing lacrosse there. It's uh, just it, it blows me away to see what she's doing. And she just called just before we got on the before we got on the phone. She called and she wants us our our. our our, our Labrador passed away about six months ago, hmm. and so she definitely wants another dog or two in the house. She forgets she's not taking care of it, you know, and she's <laughs> up in school <laughs> or training the dog. But So she wants me to get on here and look at these these puppies uh, breeds that she's got. So I think the, the thing that, that's just been good for us is that all along the way, and Allison was an only child, she was just with us in everything we did all hmm. the time. We never... And we, we, we people would tell us, "No, you got to get away. You got to go on vacation. You got to leave her with this family or leave her with somebody else." And we just never could do it. And we just took her everywhere, and she always was with us all the time, doing everything. And of course, as she got older, she had her, she got other friends, and she got sure. a boyfriend and all that. But, but uh, you know, we just, we just shared everything. Everything we did, we did together, and we got. I think we got to know each other because, you know, it wasn't just quality time; it was also quantity time. You know, and you right, right. I was working you know, whenever I wasn't, or she'd come over here and she'd work out down in the weight room. We yeah. always have our coaches' kids on the sidelines during games. They can come to practice anytime they want, the boys and the girls, uh, because we were allowed to do that. And I think just to me, that's what a family is, you know. I mean, you're together. You should be together, doing things together all the time, and maybe maybe that's where, that's where it started for us, I would say.
0: That's great. Coach John Harbaugh is our guest. Uh, Coach, you are on the cutting edge of uh – one of the great divides in America, which is the debate over how we uh, purge ourselves of uh, any kind of bias or bigotry or racism. The church has been very clear in saying that racism is a sin and yet it's something every one of us, if we're honest, struggles with. Uh, Any any insights on your part into how do we make the country, how do we make our personal lives better in terms of uh, seeing not the differences but the things that unite us?
1: So awesome. Such an awesome point. You know, in football, we tell our guys all the time, you know, everybody here, you know, I, I tell them, I'll say, you know what, You believe some people believe this, some people they don't, but I believe everything has a purpose and there's a reason for everything, okay? And that's where we start. That's where I start. So we're all sitting in this room together, the, the Baltimore Ravens. We come from every different space, every place, every race, every religious background, every type of economic background that you can possibly have. That's the thing about football. Everybody plays football from everywhere. Right. And yet we here. We are together in this room, and we've been brought together for a purpose and a cause. And and really, what is that purpose? No laugh, no goggle. That's right. It's football. Okay, mm-hmm. and everything that goes with that. When you build a team and the brotherhood and the relationships that go with that, you know. And so we bring our biases. You know, we bring our backgrounds, and no two people are exactly the same. I think it was Paul who talked about the idea. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Correct me. The idea that when you when you approach somebody, you should always look at the other person as actually being better than you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's just that kind of a fundamentally humble hearted position, you know, that you look at somebody and you don't see all you see is a human being, you know, created by God. That's actually that you're supposed to look at as being better than you. And what can you learn from them? And you kind of joke. It's like as a leader, right? How, How do leaders treat the people around them? You know, when they manage up, manage down, manage sideways, you know, the great leaders treat the people that they lead better. You know, they serve, they Do everything they can to help that person be successful. Uh, The the people that wash the windows or or make the food or whatever, you know, those are the people that you treat the best. I mean, kind of measure yourself that way, right? Yes. And I think when you start looking at the world that way, uh, whether it's in Baltimore City or Baltimore County, (laughs) everybody you come in contact with and say, man, I can't wait to see what God has brought to me today in this person. Why Why did he cross our paths? I can't wait to find out. Uh, I got to find out what this person's <laughs> yeah, right, my path right. for, you know, if you just decide to, to take that type of an approach, and it's not easy, we all know, but you do your best to do that, even when you're busy, and you've got all the different challenges and pressures and struggles weighing you down, you just yeah. decide that the person in front of you is the most important thing and person that in your life, because God put him there. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's, that's a good first step.
0: Coach Harbaugh has said in other interviews, and I was struck by it, he really believes that every one of us is made in the image and likeness of God. Now, there's some people we meet, Coach, who are, uh, it's easy to see the God in them. And there are other people you (laughs) have to really struggle to see. How do you deal with a person who seems to be anything but the face of God?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I bite my tongue, I guess, first. Sometimes I don't, you know, but... uh... I don't know i sometimes you got to walk away too you know and you just gotta you know try to try to try to take people where they're at that's the biggest thing even when you have conversations about religion and things like that you know you try to meet people where they're at and sometimes you meet somebody you know like you that's a a very mature uh christian and a a, you know person that's accomplished so many things and man you just try to keep up you know and other times you just try to you just try to you know (laughs) I don't know, just try to
0: relate, I guess. But You know, in a program like this, I try to have, obviously, people who believe, but I also invite sometimes people who call themselves agnostics and atheists, but it's interesting to me, when they're pushing back, I don't believe in anything, I don't believe in any God, I'm a total atheist, uh, there's always a a small crack in the wall that they're looking to believe, they want to believe, that the actor Ed Asner we had on, he's 92 years old, and Uh, He calls himself a Jewish atheist. And I said, at 92, Ed, are you still an atheist? And he said, well, let's just say, as I get toward the end, I hope you people are right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think there's a hope, even in the unbeliever, that maybe some of what we're saying is, true. you just quoted Coach a moment ago, uh, St. Paul. And I I know in a bunch of places you talked about his influence over you, uh, the power of his words in your life. Why is St. Paul so important to you?
1: Well, I just, I, I think it's just the word of God. I mean, I, the, the, he wrote, he wrote the letters, you know, and that's where so much uh, teaching is done. I'm mm-hmm. actually doing a study now where in the mornings I write it's uh, because it's, it's through, it's through Notre Dame. It's, it's, it's like the gospels and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's all Jesus's talk, you know? And so I, I, I made a point that I, I write it out, you know, as a study because I find when I write it, it just kind of ingrains a little more than when I just read it, you know? So yeah. now I'm into the world. I've been reading the words of Jesus, you know, when he's, He's been Mm -hmm. on the shore. He's been on the boat. He walked on the water. He, you know, um, uh, he ate the, he ate the fish and showed him that he was still, he was just, he was a human, you know, he wasn't a spirit. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I don't know. Um, I don't know about Paul. He he speaks,
0: he speaks well of you too. Final question. I promise. Um, Monty Hall, if you remember him, Let's Make a Deal. I do. Uh, we had him on the show years ago, and uh, and I said, you know, you remind me of the prayer life of too many of my brothers and sisters in the Catholic faith who only pray in terms of God. If you do this, I'll do that. They make a deal with God. The toughest line for me, I don't know if it is for you, in the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How well does Coach John Harborough pray that prayer and mean it, Lord, wherever you take me, whatever your will is, I'm okay with that. Are you well, a wrestler
1: with that? I'm better when, we, when, when, when his will is that we win. I can tell you,
0: that. but, uh, man, I tell you That's the thing. It's
1: like God has taught me, because we've had some heartbreaking losses, and yeah. God has taught me. The one thing he showed me so many times is, be still, for I am the Lord. Wait on me. you know. And I've had to learn that lesson. you know. And that's the one lesson. That's the thing I'm working on right now.
0: You are a, a relatively young man and in good health. But if tomorrow you were called home and they said, that guy... Uh, coach john harborough what i remember about him most was what would you like him to remember uh he
1: had no guile
0: <laughs> oh that's a great thing that's, that's a great thing one. coach thank you so much for sharing your time with us your faith with us your family with us your struggles like the rest of us you're a wonderful man and we're so grateful to you for uh being with us today and and god bless you and your whole family and the team and win a few more super bowls for us would you, you god thank you it's an honor to be on your show
1: i, I listened to your show and i listened to 129 and I'm serious and uh, it, you're doing great work.
0: As we get into today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me at all, go to personally speaking podcast at gmail.com. You can also get past episodes of this program by going on YouTube and punching in personally speaking with Monsignor Jim Masanti. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Personally speaking is also available as a podcast on personally speaking podcast dot buzzsprout dot com. Or you can get our shows by going to www CloseEncounterTV.com, all one word, CloseEncounterTV.com. Additionally, Personally Speaking is also on my parish website. I hope you go to that, www.ollmp.org, Ollmp.org. And uh, if you would think seriously, also joining us on Facebook, Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti, please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandavitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.